0: Hi, this is Al Morris of Koi, a protocol focused on the infrastructure to bring true decentralization to all dApps in the Web3 space. I'm here on the Edge of NFT podcast. They're always delivering the coolest in Web3 news. Keep listening.
1: Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out what exciting Web3 adventures Al Morris from Koi has been up to since we checked in with him last year.
2: And find out what your co-host, Ethan Janney, had to say in response to our own quick hitter questions. And how Adobe
3: plans to stay relevant in a Web3 world. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming March 28th to the 31st. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to NFTLA.live to get your tickets as early as possible for best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special, unforgettable experience, there are still opportunities to get involved, but they're also going fast. So please reach out at contact at edgeofnft.com and make sure to hop in our Discord via edgeofnft.com slash Discord to keep up with the latest in the community. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger.
1: which stands for knowledgeable, open, and infinite internet. Koi is a protocol focused on infrastructure to bring true decentralization to all dApps in the Web3 space. Koi has a fully self-sustaining ecosystem driven by the Koi token. As an innovator and tech leader building an operating system for decentralized digital storage, Al formed Koi Network in 2020 to broaden the range of possibilities for the future of Web3. With an emphasis on creating decentralized storage systems as a way to create an unbiased and transparent network. Al co founded Blockchain Institute Chicago. We teach blockchain.org to help educate the public and promote the adoption, development, and use of blockchain technology. Outside of his core responsibilities, Al is an advisor at XYZ Technologies, as well as other projects within the blockchain and crypto community. He is an avid NFT collector. Which drove his passion for creating atomic and dynamic NFTs at Coin Network, the fundamental building block of the fair, community-owned internet. Al Morris, welcome back to Edge of NFT.
0: Thanks, Ethan. That's a, that's a hell of an intro. Really appreciate it. Yeah, the background, great to man. Yeah. With you guys again. Awesome stuff. <laughs>
3: yeah, dude, dude. So great to have you back, man. Um, and you know, we gave we gave some background on Coin and and you know what it is, but. For our listeners who aren't familiar with it, in your own words, man, please share with them the story of Koi and how it came to be.
0: Uh, So the the short version of the story is just we're trying to solve this problem of speech on the internet. Um, The internet is this incredible tool that allows us to transmit information around the world very, very quickly. But currently it's mostly owned by a few major companies. And as a result, most of the important information, like all the nuance to the discussion tends to exist on private servers. Uh, So we're just trying to provide the tools that will enable people to build kind of a new generation of web products that are going to have all of that information be public so that everybody has access to it. And hopefully this will allow people to make better judgments about what they believe online. Uh, And hopefully this means we can get out of kind of the current rhetoric cycle that we're seeing around the world. Um, Because it doesn't really matter where you are right now. There's a lot of kind of uh, craziness in the news and it seems like it just accelerates every week over what was happening the last week so we're really committed to working uh, towards making that an easier and you know hopefully uh, less kind of mythical problem you know everybody sees this as something like you know that's how that's how speech has always been but we think we can actually fix it so we've got like 20-30 people walking working around the clock just trying to make this problem a little bit more tangible and kind of pick away at it one piece at a time.
3: Yeah, big problem to solve, big problem to tackle, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, totally. And, you know, you guys have had an ambitious plan since the jump. I, I look back, your, our first episode was man, in the in the 30s of, of the show. And um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how your vision has changed over the last year since we originally spoke and, and how, like, these uh, tracks that you're laying now, um, you know, Uh, are impacted by what you've learned over the course of that time and how the industry has shaped your perspective?
0: So the first thing I'll say is uh, we've realized that there's a lot more out there than we knew about before. Um, So as we've started to put together this toolkit for people, we've come across all kinds of products like decentralized VPNs, decentralized hosting, and all these toolkits that we didn't know were there. Um, And so we've been able to start integrating a lot of those things into kind of this bouquet of toolkits that Koi performs with. Um, And the best part of all of this, and still kind of the core of the ecosystem, is that as a content creator or an app developer, if your content gets attention, you get to mine the Koi token. And once you have these Koi tokens, you can use them to pay for all of these other services. So we kind of provide this one-stop shop for people who want to create something that's going to change people's minds.
1: Yeah, you know. We've had lots of great discussions. I think uh, you know my one of my favorites was when, when uh, we had a group discussion uh, talking just about uh, the you know the, the creator economy and and uh, and all that's going on and sort of tokenizing different forms of value um, and uh, and so it's really great to have you back here and and you, you have a very kind of meta theoretical perspective on all this, which is always great to hear. You know, right now. Uh, we were all excited about having all the world's information accessible online, and uh, sure, it's all there now, including all the BS. And the problem is filtering it, and where do people's attention go? And uh, um, it's it's uh, as we alluded to before, it's 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 an issue. Like uh, we've got lots of information, the attention goes from one thing to the another, and you don't always know uh, where to put it. So, how do you view the current state of what we might call the attention economy? Ooh,
0: that's a hard question.
1: Um, all right. We can skip it. The, you guys want to talk to the next one? Just, <laughs>
0: just <laughs> to give you kidding. the very quick meta answer. It's like, how do you look at the, the attention economy? Well, it's it's all about capitalizing attention, like a commodity. You know, We have wars that are fought over oil and gas extraction, but the next wars we fought over basically attention extraction, probably. That's probably where we're headed, right? We have to keep people's attention on one thing so that we can have a democracy that goes the direction that people want it to go. Um, And so what we're hopefully starting to see is that people are learning that they can fight this game uh, and that they can actually build things. Like if you start a Shopify store and you start selling a product, you're selling an idea and you're trying to capture people's attention. So they come and buy from you instead of buying from Walmart. Um, And that's part of the attention economy. And all of these things are kind of part of this. I think what we're starting to notice now, which is really exciting, is that a lot of people are actually really motivated to start diverting attention from some of the crazy stuff towards some of the things that everybody shares that are more important um, we're just getting a little bit closer every day, but people start to be, they seem to be starting to wake up towards this, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah. it, It almost like comes across as like a, as I look at it back through, you know, my lifetime, it's like a counter evolution of, it's like a, it's like a battle of resources. You might see like between two ecologies, right. In, in, uh, in biology or something where, uh, there's been generations that were surprised by the ability of corporations and, and parties to like pinpoint how attention is garnered and, and do it in a very calculated way. But the people who uh, were sort of affected by that wouldn't didn't necessarily know how to manage that, right? or, or account for that or battle that. Even sometimes the people who are creating those kind of attention hacks uh, couldn't couldn't be uh, couldn't defend against it. But I think there is like, I think as you're indicating there's a generation that's coming up where we've got enough information out there about this and it has been accessed enough and, and people are sort of have that awakeness awareness that they do want to like, they want to do something about it. And there's, there's these tools, right? There are these tools to, to battle it.
0: Yeah. I think there's a, there's a conscious power that comes from being able to channel your attention yourself. And so if you can prevent other people from diverting your attention, then you actually have like a little bit of a superpower. Um, so we're starting to try and, create tools that cater to that audience more so than anyone else. But
3: Yeah. So like when we look at the future of the attention economy and we kind of know where we're at right now and some of the problems around it, you mentioned tools that Koi is developing to help address the problems underlying the uh, attention economy. What does that future look like say over the next year or so?
0: Hopefully a lot less um, radical rhetoric. That would be great. I think we have a tendency to every time that there's a conflict in the world, um, or there's something that kind of has a chance to pull on people's heartstrings, there becomes a almost an escalation of pulling on those heartstrings. And so someone might have their heart in the right place, trying to just you know rally support for something they care about, and then someone else comes along realizing that that person has created a platform for themselves and tries to steal the stage. And then you've got Kanye West bursting into the Osc- or the Oscars and yelling at Taylor Swift, kind of thing you know um, but on like a political agenda scale and you know i just i kind of hope that people start to see this as what it actually is and they start seeing these arguments that people are making uh more as kind of arguments that are vying for the attention of the masses as opposed to uh rhetoric that's meant to be taken kind of seriously because if we take everything that a lot of these politicians are saying seriously now we would end up fighting so many wars in so many places and it's kind of terrifying
3: yeah, I mean in, in in thinking about the dynamics of of communication, right? You're under the hood on a lot of this stuff. You're seeing what's happening on a lot of this. I and mean, we hear stories of uh, you know bots doing things, coordinated efforts to push one agenda or another. Are you, are you seeing that as you, as you work kind of under the hood in this space and is that is that part of the the problem is it that happening at a large scale? the movie, the social dilemma, like all those different elements to it. like What's your view on that? Like what's actually happening behind the scenes?
0: Uh, So I can only speak to the part that I've seen, but having worked in ad networks and working in um, kind of the digital marketing space for a while, you start to see that a lot of the people that are beating you with the game are doing so because they're less ethical, um, And that's a very, like, there's a lot of people out there who are just very, very good at the marketing game. And they're kind of terrifying to go up against because from their perspective, they're doing the right thing, but they might be kind of undermining uh, the social order on some level because they try to radicalize people and engage them with thoughts that potentially are, uh, you know, fear and greed motivated as opposed to like something that really brings people together. Um, The exciting thing about this though, is that those arguments are actually easy to dispel. And so if you can identify them and show them to people, then most people don't really like to be manipulated. So they're pretty quick to turn around and say that they don't want to be part of those things. Um, The movie The Social Dilemma is a really good one to bring up. Uh, For those that haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. So it's pretty easy to access, but like basically a lot of the early people from Facebook and Google have now quit and left their jobs and are outspoken critics of these systems because uh, at least in Facebook's case, they're being basically investigated for election meddling in a lot of countries. Um, and it's not Facebook themselves, but it's that the platform that Facebook created didn't have certain safeguards in place. So it made it really easy for people to take advantage of. Um, and we, I think we hope that over time, more and more of these folks, people will come out more whistleblowers, and hopefully that will lead to the public opinion shifting to be a little bit more critical of these platforms, but it's all a little step at a time kind of thing. It doesn't happen very quickly because you have to change a lot of hearts and minds.
3: Yeah, man. So like what, in terms of, as we think about the tools that you have currently in your arsenal um, what do you have? What is the, the toolkit currently uh, at COI to, to help address you know, some of these underlying issues?
0: So we spent the last year or so developing the core attention tracking system, uh, which allows us to actually verify that you looked at something in a cryptographic way. Um, and that was the first piece of this puzzle. Then as we started to look at that more and try to scale it up to like a global web adoption uh, kind of level, which, you know, for us, that means hitting around 100 billion proofs of real traffic per day. Um, being able to parse through all of those and come out with a list of things that receive traffic. Um, that was the first step. So we've put that work all in, we've built all of that technology stack. And now what we've built on top of that is a system of templates and app toolkits so that somebody who has very little developer experience can come to the system and deploy their own uh, crowdfunding portal, social media app, um, you know, social leaderboard content kind of system, messaging app, VPN, anything like this, uh, kind of trying to arm the rebels, so to speak. Um, because if we can take all of these disenfranchised people who are upset about this and then give them either a tool that somebody else has built that will allow them to engage or the tools to build those things themselves, then you know, that can really trigger some kind of evolution from that. Um, as an example of this, over the last couple of weeks since we started seeing what was happening on the ground in Ukraine, uh, we developed sort of a Snapchat-like toolkit that allows you to post to decentralized storage. And so you can take a quick video on your phone and then you can post it out to a bunch of decentralized storage networks and make sure it can't get taken down. And then you can also earn some crypto for that. So it's kind of like a nice way to make some money, document what's going on and make sure that, you know, this decentralized network of computers will take care of that for you. So you never have to worry about the information being lost. Um, and you can also stay very private and pseudonymous in the process. So there's a lot of these kind of little pieces that we're trying to put together for people.
2: That's That's very cool. Was that um, sort of a spontaneous project that you just developed uh, based on you know what you felt was like a, a need in, in the global landscape, or is that tied to some of the other major milestones that you already have coming up or recent uh, tools that you built?
0: Yeah, so it was actually something, um, we call this toolkit the, uh, the mobile toolkit for Koi. Uh, it's what's called a progressive web app, so you can install it without even going to an app store. So we actually already had this as part of the stack that we've been developing for a long time. And then as we put it together, um, you know, we had kind of an early prototype of it a couple of weeks ago, and we saw what was happening over there, uh, saw the need to kind of capture some of this content and be able to say, like, this firsthand account is real versus this one that may not be, um, and try to capture that kind of nuance. So we've started to deploy it with a number of our community members. We also have a very large community in Ukraine uh, and in Russia. So we've been trying to talk to those community members and see if there's something that we can offer that might help, because... You know, we can give money to lots of organizations work on that. We're trying to help a few people with crowdfunding portals for different uh, food banks and things like that. But, you know, if we can really provide something that fixes the speech problem as well, I think that has a lot of power to change things. Ultimately, like those of us outside of that situation, we can't say a lot that's going to shift the narrative. But if we can help people there talk to each other, then that really might help.
2: Um, how did you get the word out? Um, I mean, are these uh, folks that are just in your Discord and in your Telegram, that, um, you know, that you're communicating with with Twitter? I'm just kind of curious how, how you go about marketing an app in and, and, and such a, um, you know, dynamic environment uh, as, as is the case in the Ukraine right now.
0: In a hostile environment, it's very difficult. Uh, so we had luckily a lot of people from our community that reached out to us asking if there were toolkits that they could use for this kind of thing. Um, As an example, with Telegram, uh, the founder of Telegram is apparently fairly close with the Russian leadership, and so a lot of people are skeptical of using that service. Uh, Some people have moved over to Signal because of this. We had a lot of people asking us for tips on, like, what could they do to, you know, communicate in a decentralized fashion that was going to be secure. Um, So we tried to kind of accelerate the development and release of this toolkit in order to uh, respond to those needs. Um, But now as a result of that, we are talking to a lot of people who we've brought in, we've been brought into contact with, who are contacts of these folks. Um, We're starting to interview a lot of different people in all kinds of places and see what we can do to make it easier for them. Uh, What we're hoping to do in the next little while is to fund somebody who's actually Ukrainian or Russian to build out uh, an extended version of this. And we have a grants pool that we've recently announced. So hopefully we'll get to put a lot of that money towards that kind of an initiative.
2: That's very cool. And yeah, yeah. I guess that sort of leads me to my next question. I'm, I'm curious, what are the, the next major milestones for Koi? some of the partnerships that you're, you've are you been cooking up maybe? Um, I saw Al briefly at Eat Denver uh, between uh, a lot of different meetings and, and interviews and whatnot. I think we shared a, a bad coffee together at a, the only place uh, around that we could find any kind of coffee. So it was, uh, but it was good to see you. So, well, what, what have you been cooking up uh, while you've been on the road and and what are you guys building?
0: Uh, So we spent most of last year building the proofs of concept for all of these systems that I'm describing. And now what we're trying to do is to, um, kind of fine tune the details to get to a global scale. Uh, so one thing that we did recently was we created our own layer one network that does payment settlements between our nodes Um, And that means that now our nodes can take on a much larger amount of work than they would have previously been able to. And we can do things a lot faster than we could before. Uh, So we're up to about like 2000 transactions per second. Um, And that also means that as a result, we can track more attention. So instead of being able to track uh, around like a million to 2 million proofs of real traffic per day, which is kind of our cap before, now we're kind of on the order of 100 billion. Um, So really trying to extend the system to get ready for that influx of people that are coming in. Uh, At the same time, we're also releasing these app toolkits that I've been talking about. Um, And so a lot of those will hopefully help developers to onboard into the system. And we've been building out a grants program. Uh, We've actually allocated a couple million dollars towards grants. And so those will all be going to projects that are built on top of this framework that I'm describing. Uh,
2: That's really cool. And with regard to this framework, um, to what extent is it going to be compatible with um, developers that are building on some of the traditional social networks like Twitter, for example, versus building their own sort of technology and networks. Uh, uh, What's your perspective on sort of supporting those two different paradigms? So
0: that's actually one of the best things about Coin. Uh, We've even recently been talking to like folks like Google and Amazon about how we can make their services more well integrated into Web3. Um, And what we're trying to do with these coin nodes is that the coin node can read from many different networks. So not just from Arweave and Filecoin, but also Ethereum and Bitcoin, and from like a Web2 API like Twitter. Um, and so that's actually one of the main advantages of what we've built is that it's able to have this cross-chain interoperability um, as a side effect of that. We also can now track attention on YouTube or on a website or something like that. Um, and so you can come to coin and can register content. That's not even stored on decentralized networks, which hopefully down the road means that you can start to monetize almost any piece of content anywhere on the internet using Koi. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. And, and we um, you know, we, we've been learning so much about this of course because we're in web three and we're in media <laughs> and we're building a community and we're building a conference and and you know it's just it's it's really incredible the opportunities here you know and and also just the the ways we're you know we're sort of people are doing this over and over like organically kind of rewarding people for being a part of the community and, and giving their attention um, and, the, and attention itself can be a reward. People want to be seen. That's that's part of why they want to be part of a community. But um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's definitely the next wave, re- rewarding that kind of integration. I think community is a, a big part of it is too. Um,
0: yeah, and the Koi token itself is only one form of reward. You know, it's just if people are looking at your content, you can earn Koi. Um, there's a social media network we're now incubating on top of Koi that's going to pay people for looking at content as well, which is pretty cool. So if you have a higher reputation, then people who look at your content will get more of this new token. Uh, it's a product called TreeSpace, but I'm sure people will hear about that pretty soon. Um, the other thing we're really excited about, though, is kind of performance incentives around the NFT side. I, I know we haven't really talked about NFTs much. Um, all this stuff that we've been talking about is like NFTs are the core element of all of these systems. So in order for it to be a decentralized network, everything gets stored as an NFT. Um, but we also do have the CryptoFish NFT collection, which is coming out uh, shortly. Uh, so that's somebody in the community that has been drawing uh, pixelated fish. And they're very cool, very unique. Uh, some of them have baseball caps. Some of them have, uh, you know, very funny looking eyes, or they've got like an anchor next to them or a treasure chest. Um, you can think of it kind of like a a profile pic collection. Uh, so we'll be dropping a few of those today for people that are participating by listening to this podcast as well, I think.
1: Oh, Nice. No, we just kind of dropped that almost like under the radar there. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. As <laughs> well, Yeah, awesome. Um, all right. Before we wrap up the questions, uh, you know, someone like you, who's just got your, you're not only about kind of sharing information about the space, but you've got your ear to the ground and, you, and you're networking with like the most, uh, the coolest people and the power, most powerful projects. You know, what other companies in, in NFT land are inspiring to you these days outside of Koi?
0: Oh, wow, Uh, big question. Uh, I'm really excited about the adoption of gaming platforms. So Axie Infinity and similar products, uh, I think those are gonna spur a lot of people to start understanding what it is to have a wallet and how to actually use these things. Um, I also been really enjoying talking to the the Filecoin folks lately. Uh, They have sort of an initiative to decentralize Filecoin now. Um, So they're working on taking Protocol Labs, which is the parent company and decentralizing it into a whole bunch of subsidiaries all of which will be basically governments uh, managed by, I think, NFTs or governance tokens, uh, which is really exciting. So there's a lot of this uh, sort of the DAO evolution of NFTs, I think that's very cool. Uh, even if you look at like, you know, the Board of Yacht Club and other groups like this, they're now starting to act more like organizations than like art collectors, which is very neat. It's almost like an evolution to the next wave of what's happening.
1: With almost $25 billion in sales in 2021, there's no denying the NFT market is on fire. But what many investors don't realize is, demand has skyrocketed for another asset thanks, in part, to this NFT boom. The asset I'm talking about is multi-million dollar blue chip art. And it's been so hot, a Banksy offering on the Masterworks platform recently sold for $7.4 million. And what's even more incredible is, all shares of this Banksy offering sold out in just three hours. According to Masterworks, similar works by Banksy saw a price appreciation of 19.9% from 2007 to 2020, outpacing the S&P 500 by nearly a factor of two over the same time period. And Masterworks investors recently saw a 32% annualized appreciation net of fees from the sale of another Banksy painting called Mona Lisa. To discover how to buy into similar offerings by Banksy, Picasso, Picasso, and Monet for a fraction of the cost of the entire painting, visit edge slash masterworks. That's edge slash masterworks. For important disclosures, visit masterworks.io slash disclaimer.
3: Well, Al, you've been up to a lot (laughs) since we last talked to you, man. Like uh, I guess it was back in July, almost a year, almost a year ago. Uh, Amazing progress. So many cool things happening uh, on the Koi front. Uh, Really great to get the update here. You know, we we always go to segment two at this point. Uh, it's a section we call Edge Quick Hitters. We did it last time with you. And so I'm assuming the answers really haven't changed a ton since most of it has to do with your life uh, in the past. And so we wanted to actually flip the script a little bit today and do a special thing, which we've never done before in 117 uh, plus episodes, and that is turn those questions around and ask uh one of our hosts those questions. So what we wanted to do today, Al, is have you ask the edge quick hitter questions to our very own Ethan Janney. You down? Lovely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Joe, yeah. Am, I
0: ask, am I asking all of them in order or we kind of just pick and choose? We make them up as we go.
3: We, we ask them in order, man. That's it. Ethan yeah. is his charge is to keep it short and sweet, but we may go a little deeper, I think on some of these things. So why don't you, uh, why
1: don't you yeah. read the intro to that as well, Al, and also ask me if I'm ready because that that's part of the project, part, part of the process. <laughs> I do it every time. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll, I'll, read, I'll read it. Edge quick hitters are a fun and quick way to get to know, I guess, me a little bit better, 10 quick questions, looking for just a uh, single few word responses. And we can feel free to expand if we get the urgent, am I ready? No, but uh, we're picking on me today. I found this out at the, at the front of the episode. Awesome. <laughs> All
0: right. Awesome. So ready now?
1: Yeah, I'm ready now.
0: Lovely. Uh, so what is the first thing that you remember purchasing in your life?
1: Okay. At, whenever this question is up uh, comes up, I think about how I saved a bunch of money. I was a big saver when I was a kid. And, uh, I didn't know what necessarily what to do with it. I just knew that it was a good to save it. So I just like had all this money piling up, piling up, piling up. And, you know, my, my family encouraged me to get something. And so we went, I think it was to footlocker and I got to look around and see, or we were just at the mall, but I ended up at footlocker and there was one of just one of those mini basketball hoops, you know, the, the ones that you hang on a door and it comes with a tiny little basketball. And, uh, and I got, I got that. Yeah. And, and now that, I, that's kind of the first thing I ever remember purchasing in my life. And even though it's like a fun toy, I remember that was also my first buyer's remorse. I was like, I spent all of that, you know, time and energy earning all that money. I was like, is this really what I wanted to do? <laughs> Anyways, that's my first hopefully, purchase. Hopefully you're really good at layups now. Yeah, actually. Yes. I'm pretty good. I could do a pretty, pretty solid reverse layup.
0: Wow. Excellent. Yeah. So no buyer's remorse at all, then. um, <laughs> What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life?
1: Okay, this is this one's kind of fun. Um, the first thing I can really remember is having a band in high school um, and uh, selling CDs for the band. Um, and I'm so glad I got a chance to, to have that experience, like having a high school band. I realize everybody has a high school band to a certain degree, but it comes in stages. You, you either just talked about having a band and you came up with a name. That counts for like your base level of being in a band. Next level is you got to friend together with your friends and you strummed your guitars, right? A little bit. And you had a name, right? It goes deeper and deeper until you actually got on stage and performed. So I'm glad I got the level and we actually sold some CDs to like people's parents who felt sorry for us. Uh,
0: Follow-up question. What genre of uh, music and how many CDs were sold?
1: Oh man, I'm going to guess at under a hundred. And I would say uh, we played... A, we played jazz. We, we fancied ourselves to be jazz, kind of rock fusion um, musicians. And the name of the band was Freebop.
0: I feel like there's some NFTs coming. <laughs> yeah,
1: their could be could be.
0: Sounds lovely. Uh, okay. What is the most recent thing that you purchased?
1: Oh, man. Most recent thing that I purchased. Gosh, a good question. Uh, there's probably some things since then. But I ha- I got a new computer to like, you know, like a gaming level computer, you know, to serve serve the fact that we're doing all these podcast recordings and things like that to make sure it worked. I got a router, a computer, and a modem to upgrade my system. I'm glad of I did it. What's that?
0: What kind of computer?
1: It is a Dell Alienware uh, M15 R5. Sounds very fancy. Um, Go get yours today. This, uh, this episode is brought to you by Alienware.
0: You guys have a coupon
1: for that? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh,
0: too bad. Alien version sponsor. Uh, what is the most recent thing that you sold?
1: We've been selling spirit seeds like crazy, my friend. We're almost sad to let them all go. Uh, but last night, we we sold out of spirit seeds minting on the website. Uh, and uh, it was an incredible milestone. We do have a few in our back pocket that we might put out on the market um, in the coming days so that people can... Get in back in on the action. Get a VIP pass to uh, the FTLA and all sorts of other perks. And thank you so much for giving me a chance to plug that. I did not even plan that.
0: <laughs> Great plug! Great plug! I still have to get one of those. Uh, okay, what is your most prized possession? This is actually the one I was excited for. Hopefully, one of those CDs from circa 2005.
1: Oh man, my most prized possession. I don't really know if this counts, but I it's really first thing comes to mind for me. My uniqueness, just like. Just like who I am. You know, it's it's not always easy every day. You got your ups and downs, but like having who I am and all the uniqueness of it, I, I treasure that. Yeah.
2: I I I certainly can can agree with that sentiment. Ethan is one of the most unique individuals I've met in my entire life.
1: <laughs> I have to say, Josh is pretty close as well, and Jeff. We, we've got quite a crew here of kind of quirky unique guys. There can be only one. <laughs>
0: Like an NFT. I love it. Um, If you could buy anything in the world, digital physical service experience that is currently for sale, what would it be? Hopefully not my uniqueness. It's not for sale.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I should have had some forethought on this one. Gosh. You know, we've asked it so many times. I feel like I've come up with answers before that were really good, but on the spot here,
3: we'll give you the, we'll give you the, what do you have your eye on prompt?
1: Yeah. I mean, my favorite answers from previous guests is like, is purchasing something think it better the world, you know, uh, because, you know, why would you get anything else? Makes the Vladimir whole world Putin's a better place. High school diary. And what's that? Vladimir Putin's high school diary. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether that will help, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we, we have been talking about the Ukraine here and yeah, gosh, if I don't know if I don't have the answer, but I think. Um, in this very moment, something—I would be searching for something to uh, sort of quell this sort of uh, drama and, uh, and and really fear that people have to live in um, during this time, right? And, and, and bring to light, you know, the human, the sort of foibles of human psychology that allow, you know, crazy stuff to happen, um, and, and bring bring sort of mental health more into people's lives. Um, I think that would be uh, that would be a, a powerful thing.
0: Absolutely. Um, okay. We'll move on to the next one then. Uh, if you could pass on one of your personality traits, to the next generation, what would it be? And if you could eliminate one of your personality traits, what would that be?
1: Mm, thanks for throwing them together there. Okay. Passing on. I think it's a, I don't, It's just a personality trait. We've we brought it up a few times here. I, I really think the crea- the creative and creator economy is the future um so so that willingness to um let go of a little bit of the kind of uh indust you know what I know you call it factory industrial corporate you know history that we have around what does it mean to contribute to society and you know bring in like let your brain go wild and you know uh, g- give all this cool stuff to everybody uh that again that only you can give i think that's uh that attitude is what i would pass along
0: more uniqueness it's good for
1: everything. Yeah. Uh, creativity. Yeah. Absolutely. Elimination. Okay. Well, which one would I eliminate? Oh. <laughs> Let's see here. Eliminate. I guess it would be. Oh, man. I don't know. The, the, I, I'd try to bring a little bit more focus a little bit more focus into things. I mean, I can get in zones of focus, but to be willing to just like zoom in, you know, and like, and really, uh, so, and really make something happen in, in the moment, like immediately. So I get, we're getting rid of kind of like, sort of like lost getting lost, you know, or not knowing what the next step is. Yeah. That's, that would be that.
0: Time saving. Um, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast and what are you going to do next?
1: So just before joining us on the podcast, I prepped for the podcast like always do. Got my computer set up, get ready to go, check over the notes, uh, set up set up everything. I'm kind of like the curator of the content here. Um, I also had a fun meeting just before this with Jesse Tevalo of Praise, uh, and maybe if the video goes out, people will find out he and I are going to do an AMA in the Praise uh, the Praise Pals uh, Discord channel um, Tomorrow, and we're going to put people on a white list and, and give them uh, like a Gleam contest. Lots of cool stuff going on with Praise right now. And actually, was he in, the one in the conversation with you and I that we had?
0: Yeah, we were in uh, I think yeah. a panel for that's the awesome. conference. <laughs> oh
1: wow! What a great, what a great coincidence! Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's great to hear. They're still doing well. Uh, and so, right after this podcast, what are you up to?
1: Right after this podcast, I think I just look at my calendar. And go okay, what's next? What's next? <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, just check the calendar and go. Uh, all right, I'll say this. This is easy. I have to, I have to be responsible for like, making sure I'm patient enough to let the whole recording download, upload it so that we can publish it, get all the details together uh, so that we can roll on the publication of this very fine program. That's what I'll be doing after this podcast. Awesome.
0: And then send me your address on your wallet, and I'll send you a crypto fish.
1: Okay, nice, is. nice. By the way, I do have some posts of my music that are on Koi, Koi.rocks. I posted at least one song, I believe, uh, a song called Mars that I, I, I'm quite proud of that I wrote during a kind of like a Beeple like every day's project, but I only did it for uh, for uh, three or four months. I would write like a song a day. So check out Mar- Mars, my song on Koi, Koi.rocks.
0: I would love to get that in front of all kinds of people if you send me the link. We can be awesome, you awesome. We'll share it. We'll day. share it. <laughs> Lovely. Can't wait to nice. see that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I think that is the end of our edge quick hitters. Thank you. That thank is you for not welcome. making me do it again. So Al. <laughs>
3: Ama- you're, you're welcome. Amazing job, dude. Thank you so much. man. that's great. Um so uh and thank you, Ethan. That was awesome,
1: man. Really appreciate cool. it. Cool. Yeah. Fun time.
3: Let's uh let's tackle a couple hot topics. What do you say, man?
1: All right, let's hit it. Um, first on the line, Adobe taps Polygon to scale NFT functionality in Behance social platform. Hey, that's pretty cool. Putting those uh, two things together. Um, Adobe's got a lot of wonderful things going on, um, in the design world uh, has been a really interesting, um, you know, project and company for many years. And, uh, looks like they announced their work with Polygon, which, which, um, is, you know, kind of just a leader as well, um, in, in, sort of, uh, providing tokens, to- tokens that are easily exchanged, you know, without high gas fees, you could use them in gaming and all sorts of uh, cool projects. Um, and they, they have this, they want to integrate the Ethereum scaling program into Behance social media platform. Integration according to Polygon will allow creators to showcase NFTs to the world while minimizing their carbon footprint. And transaction fees. So I did not expect this. I'll say that, but it does sound pretty awesome. I, I want to know, like, what were the dominoes that came together to make this happen? It sounds like a cool story.
3: Well, I, I don't know. I know Adobe had been doing some stuff in the realm of NFTs and trying to stay ahead of things. And I think it's just great to see, you know, a company that's existing and big and and oftentimes very slow moving, you know, starting to make some moves there to try to to stay up with what's happening, because the trains left the station on that front, there's a bunch of companies just kind of sitting tight. And I think that that's a mistake, you got to move, you got to adapt, otherwise you get replaced. And so um, they've kind of always evolved, I feel like over time, as I've seen, us go from web two to web three, and so on. So, you know, kudos to them for, for continuing that path.
0: I will say it's exciting to see um, more integration with the creator toolkits because like when I first learned graphic design, probably 10 or 15 years ago, it was on Adobe Um, and there's so many new people coming from that ecosystem. So if we get them all to get crypto wallets and they all understand what NFTs are out of the door and then everything that they create is an NFT by default, like that can't be anything but good for the rest of the ecosystem.
1: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And we've seen this before um, with render, right? Like kind of like integrating the creation process and the kind of accounting process of who made what. And uh, it, it is, it is really great. It does hold a lot of promise for, for keeping track of things in a better way and, and giving good you know credit where credit
2: is due. Yeah. I I, I love it as just an example of, of the web to sort of Legacy companies um, being very creative and partnering with with Web three, and I think that's what we're going to be talking about a lot at NFTLA. There's some really exciting companies that you would be surprised to see in this place, and companies that are in the the sort of traditional crypto space that you're going to be surprised to now see in the NFT space. And I, I think that sort of melting pot of ideas and innovation is is where we're at as a as a uh, nft sort of web3 economy right now and it's a great opportunity for mainstream adoption and uh, i think everyone can be part of that process
1: yeah indeed should we hit the neck one next one
2: or the next one
1: i don't know there might be a neck neck one let's do it be a neck one coming up here (laughs) um (laughs) nft hype fading market volume touches the lowest value since july 2021 interesting yeah we did have a story about. quite a rise in value i think that was back in january so Um, as bitcoin in the wider crypto market has continued to bleed recently the nft token sector has also seemed to have suffered in the past month decreasing values of the volume suggest the nft market activity is going down implying that the interest in these digital collectibles may be declining Wow.
2: I, i i don't know i i think that's that's um you know, a, a bias point of view, we've seen ups and downs in in the overall market. And clearly there's a threshold. Right. When 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 the crypto market goes down to a certain amount, it is going to impact, um, you know, ancillary markets like NFTs at some point in time. I think what's more interesting is the NFTs held their own during most of the battle. Right. Like it's like it's like a boxing match and um, and yeah, if you keep getting punched in the face, eventually you're going to like get knocked down. But, but the NFTs were like in the ring, you know, for a really long time holding their own against like some Goliath boxer and, um, you know, being, being the downward pressure on, on not only the crypto market, but the overall um, global markets right now. So um, I don't really look at this as uh, necessarily a, a quote trend, if you will, on a macro level.
3: Yeah. yeah, I agree, man. It, I look, uh, it, looking at the micro, you know, moves, and and by that I mean like even over the course of a full year in NFTs, as much as things change in that time, is totally short sighted. This is a long game, and the things that are are, are going to happen and are happening in real time um, are going to be impactful for the rest of our lives in some form or fashion it's it's the beginning of it and so it'll take different shapes and forms over time but to look at it as even a a a market just based on the value of of certain individual nfts um is is missing the point there's so much more happening here and i think it's just you know it's sensational you know media Uh, we were talking about some of that before uh and uh to me when i see that stuff i'm just like that looking for headlines you know looking for for clicks
1: yeah it's it's most of these headlines around things going up and down are are just very much about kind of capturing human psychology. And I think that's probably, at least for me, when we, when we got into, to the podcast, what was fascinating to me is to actually look back and be able to learn about all the things that had been going on in NFTs before, you know, March, 2021, when we first launched our uh, first episode, you know, I was like, Oh, like there's a lot of cooking here for, for quite a while. Um, and I think that, uh, also, what's what's illustrative is that, you know, even though uh, cryptocurrencies and NFTs are connected, they're just like totally different worlds about like, you know, what they're for and what they do and, you know, how they connect with communities and, and um, you know, and economies and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a non sequitur to kind of talk about the NFT market. Like, you know, I, I anytime know. That somebody
0: talks about a whole market, it's always fun. You can't ever (laughs) refer to something on that. It's like a stereotype, right? Like stereotypes are never 100% true. Um, But the nice thing and kind of the parallel with the crypto market is that as crypto markets have shown, you know, just because the price of a token goes up or down doesn't really dictate what the underlying value is or whether the underlying value is growing. Um, So most of the founders that I know right now, they've got, you know, two, three, maybe even 10 years of treasury stocked away. Uh, Like Polygon, we mentioned before, they have a huge fund now. They're acquiring people. They're building up gigantic technology stacks. They've got developers working around the clock, building the technology underneath it. Uh, And so does Koi, and so does Arweave, and so does Filecoin. Um, And this is kind of always the, this is the parallel to what we see in the public market is, you know, there's the public market going up and down, and then there's the actual people walking to work every day and doing their jobs. Um, The cool thing about NFTs now is that now we kind of have these art platforms um, that are going to work the same way. So like if the price of a Picasso at Sotheby's goes up and down, it doesn't actually mean that artists are not creating more art or that the auction houses are going bankrupt. It just means that the latest price went up or down and somebody's trying to get on the headlines to make the front page, but slash rant, sorry. You see a lot of this stuff though. It's very frustrating how much of it gets onto the headlines, but it's good to kind of like fact check it sometimes a little bit. Exactly. Um, Indeed. Yeah. So I
3: think um I think we have a little fan and uh slash listener shout out to uh to, yeah. to the slang out there, Ethan.
1: Let's you do got it. the
3: you got the your finger on the pulse. What's happening?
1: I love these. These are fun. So as you put on a conference, I'll try to put this in the most vague and friendly way possible. You find out all of the intricate ways uh that people try to get involved in the conference, you know, just just because they want to want to be a part of it, you know. Um uh, hey, why don't you give me a free VIP ticket? That'd be cool. And I'll you know, hang out because I'm great. <laughs> it's, it's fun to see the kind of things people come up with. And uh, we've been having fun with it. And, um, and also being appreciative of all the really wonderful people that, that show up and, and want to lend a hand. So here's a heartwarming story for us to share that came up in the Discord the other day. Um, Vicky from the Discord, I'll, I'll just read it because it's, it's, it tells a story. She's just in a Twitter space with a a member called Almaden Finance who really I'm kind of shouting out today. Um, And his real name is Cal Brinkman. So really inspiring stuff. The host of uh, Photos.eth and they did a great AMA uh, together. And uh, it was their first time, did a really good job. And there was an artist friend who was speaking and she said she could not go to NFTLA due to the price. Okay. So they're having this AMA. She said she couldn't go to NFTLA because of the price. And um, he demanded her wallet address and forwarded the price of the ticket to her. So it was a great, inspiring personal story all around, she said. Uh, but the topper uh, was that uh, that she found out that Almaden also split the amount, right? So the two of these guys, just out of the kindness of their heart, you know, feeling like somebody deserves a ticket to NFTLA, they, they put their funds together and they made it happen. So a, a shout out to Almaden Finance, known as Kyle Brinkman, and I'll give people uh a a project that he's just started which you might want to check out it's called trading tokenomics and it seeks to demystify what cryptocurrency ownership means it's important to understand the difference between currencies and stocks therefore their goal is to lead you to ask the right questions before considering a cryptocurrency as a store of value so shout out to those folks thanks for being part of this community We we really appreciate you hanging out
2: Yeah, that's totally something I could use. Uh, It would cause me to uh, maybe use less ape behavior uh, on such a regular basis.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Hard to avoid. Uh, Well, look, that's, I think that's a wrap on the core episode. Uh, Awesome stuff all around. Al, thanks again for joining us, man. Like, it's been great to have you back on. Uh, It's rare that we get a a second visit and so great to see you again, man. for the listeners who, who don't know, where do folks go to follow you and, and Koi and all the amazing things that are happening?
0: Our Twitter is probably the best place. That's Koi Network with two eyes, K-O-I-I Network. And you can also go to Koi.network, very similar, uh, which is our website. And you can sign up for our mailing list where we have pretty good updates coming out regularly. Um, thanks again for having me on. It's always great to kind of round up the latest kind of goings on in the space. And thank you, Ethan, for sharing your personal life with us. Sorry for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks for digging into it man <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job man and, and we
3: mentioned it earlier but just again uh we do have a fun giveaway uh that'll be happening so just keep an eye on our socials we'll get you all the details it's gonna be really fun and um uh you know uh, you'll learn all about it here very soon uh once we release the episode so uh i think at this point we have reached the outer limit at the edge of nfts for today so Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We are unlocking a whole new way to collect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drops spirit seeds, which uh, is sold out leading to living tree NFTs, which like the way to our event, NFTLA, a one of a kind immersive and unforgettable experience at LA live in Los Angeles, March 28th to the 31st, check it out at NFTla.live and move quick on early tickets. Cause they are selling out quickly. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for great NFT content. And one little piece of advice. If you do see a spirit seed for sale, On the secondary market, you may want to pick that thing up. It's packed full of value. Uh, We could talk more about that later. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective with deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.